Happy holidays, everybody. Sharon Carlson is my guest on this week's episode. She was diagnosed with breast cancer in her early 40s in 1989. If you aren't so great at math, that was 31 years ago. Sharon talked about her own diagnosis, the tragic story of her primary care doctor, her treatments, and the lonely journey of breast cancer. She talks about why she has become such a strong advocate in the breast cancer community. Take a listen in as Sharon shares her story. Welcome to Behind the Pink Ribbon, where we share stories, information, and other content related to breast cancer. My name is Melissa Adams. I am a 12-year genetic breast cancer survivor. I've learned so much through my own journey with breast cancer. I have met some amazing people along the way, many that have become lifelong friends. I have experienced the emotional roller coaster of a breast cancer diagnosis, heartache, anger, frustration, loneliness, and even gratitude. Through this podcast, we will speak to breast cancer survivors, supporters, and healthcare professionals to gain insight and understanding behind the pink ribbon. Welcome to the show, Sharon. It's so nice to have you with me. Thank you so much for having me. Absolutely. So let's talk a little bit about your story. I mean, your your diagnosis was 31 years ago, um, so I know that things were very different um, at that point in time. So tell me, um, you know, how did you come to find out that you even had breast cancer? Well, my story is not earth-shaking, but it's very interesting. I was taking a shower, and um, at 31 years ago, you didn't do self-breast exams. And had you had I known about it, I wouldn't have done it anyway. But I was taking a shower, and I felt a, a quite a large lump on my breast. And I knew immediately something was wrong. I, I was healthy. There was no cancer in my family, um, but I knew something was wrong. So I called the doctor immediately, and I had just had a, a complete uh, mammogram six months before, and it was perfectly normal. So when I went in to see my doctor, he examined me, and he said, ladies with large breasts are always lumpy and bumpy, and to come back in about three years. Oh, my gosh. Yes. Three years. So I said, um, you know what? Something's wrong with me. I just know it. I need to see another doctor. And he said, well, you know, he did, he he finally, in those days, you had to have a ref, you know, be referred to somebody. So he they gave me a name of a doctor, and I called the doctor immediately, and I got in the next day. And he took a, by now, when I found the lump, it was like the size of a, an M&M peanut. When I got to the doctor's office two or three days later to the other doctor, it was the size of a walnut. It was growing so fast. He took a biopsy, and he said he would call me in a couple of days. Well, he called me the next day, and he said he wanted to talk to my husband and I. So we went down there, and he said, you have breast cancer, and it's very, very, very bad breast cancer. Those days, we didn't have stage one, two, three, or four. It was just bad. He said that I would have to have a radical mastectomy immediately. So on Halloween night, 31 years ago, I was in the hospital and I had a left radical mastectomy. And that isn't like the radical ma the mastectomies they do today. This is when they take everything out of you, your muscles, your tissues, and you're all, I'm sunken in on that side. Okay. Uh, they didn't do reconstruction at the time because the 
the cancer was so bad that if it did come back at that point, he didn't think he'd be able to detect it. So, so after- I want to kind of just back up um, sure. just a moment because I'm, I'm always kind of curious in terms of, you know, you said you did not have a family history, um, but you kind of knew that something was wrong. Oh, I, yes. Yeah. So, um, you know, did you immediately go to breast cancer or did you think something else? No, and- no, no. I knew immediately I had breast cancer. I don't know why, but I knew immediately. Okay. And by the time this doctor, the surgeon did the surgery on me, which had now we were only talking maybe 10 days from my initial time. Oh, wow. That's pretty fast. This, yeah. This little lump had grown into the, the size of a wall that was now the size of an egg. And oh, wow. it was stuck in between my breast and my heart muscles. So it was growing very, very fast. And after surgery, the doctor said, had I not been an advocate of my own health, I probably wouldn't have lived 10 more months. Oh, my. I mean, so, yeah. Like you, you had said, it went from like a the size of a peanut M&M, which, you know, isn't... It's, 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 that's pretty big, too. Yeah. I mean, that's big, but, you know, it's... Um, not anything that I think would be like in terms of the people that I've talked to, you know, I would say that that's kind of about ish, you know, where yeah. most people have would identify with. Um, but then to go to like a walnut size to an egg size, I mean, an egg size is, is huge. It, it was huge. Yeah. yeah. And it was, it was protruding and I could see, you know, when you put your bra on or you, you get ready to get rid of, I could see the lump was starting to show. Oh gosh. So that's how, yeah. That's how much it was growing. Um, and like I said, you, women have got to be an advocate for their own health. You know when something's wrong. And this is why I tell people, if you think something's wrong, do something about it. Absolutely. It is so important to take control of your own health. Because had I listened to that doctor, I, you know, I wouldn't have been able to see my children grow up. I mean, right. this was just devastating. So was he your regular doctor? Yes, he was my, my, my regular family physician. And Not anymore. I was going to say. <laughs> <laughs> no, I never went back to him. Um, but it, but the sad thing, he did the same thing to another woman, and she did pass away. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. I mean. And this doctor, uh, this doctor committed suicide several <gasps> years later. Oh, my gosh. So. Um, oh, that's yeah. a terribly tragic story. It is, isn't it? It's horrible. Oh, my goodness. I mean. You know, like I, I'm thinking, you know, if somebody comes in, you know, I know that nobody is ever perfect, right? Like we have to, we have to um, believe that people have our best interest at heart, particularly our doctors. But I, I am floored, quite honestly, that that he would have said to you, "Come back in three years." I mean, that's a really long period of time. A really long period of time. And to be told you had lumpy, bumpy breasts, it's, you know, we all have lumpy, bumpy breasts. Let's just face it. But this lump was pretty serious. Yeah. Well, and I mean, to, (laughs) I don't know. Um, I'm just, I'm floored. And I think I'm, I think I'm just stunned right now um, that, that happened to another woman and then it ultimately ended um, with his suicide. Like I'm just. Um, it's a sad story. It's a very sad story, but um, I came out of it. Okay. Thank yeah. goodness. 
Yeah. But this is why I'm an advocate. And then my mother was diagnosed about five years after I was diagnosed with breast cancer. Really? Yes, which is very unusual. So, yeah. Well, especially um, because they said there's no family history. Right. There was no family history at all. None. And so in terms of like the, um, the reconstruction, like that wasn't even an option 31 no, years ago. No, no, it wasn't an option because he, the, the surgeon said, and I, the surgeon was absolutely fabulous. He said, if it did come back, it was such an aggressive form that he wouldn't been able to detect it at okay. that point. He didn't think so. Of course, nowadays they have, everything has changed so much. Yeah. That, that wouldn't have been even a question then I would have had reconstructions. I was a young woman. I mean, you know, I was in my early forties. So, um, that wouldn't have, I would have had it done, of course. So was that something, um, I mean, was it even a possibility after the fact? Cause I know that there are some women who, you know, end up going, um, kind of flat for a period of time and then reconsider the reconstructive option. But I would assume that they probably kind of, you I don't know, know I stitched got, it up yeah. so there wasn't room for one. Is my I just guess. got, you know, it just, it just, I went on year after year after year and it's just part of my life now. I, I put that, yeah. my little prosthesis in and I'm ready to go for the day. <laughs> but I just, yeah, I never thought about it again. Okay. Never. Yeah. So did you, um, did you have to do chemotherapy or radiation at that point in time? I didn't have radiation, but I did have a year of chemo. A year of chemo? Yes. Oh my goodness. And I'll tell you something interesting. Um, you know, everyone's hair falls out and whatever, but they started packing my head in ice before mm -hmm. I would have my chemo and my hair never fell out. Yeah. I mean, I've, I have heard that cold capping really does work, um, yes, it, you yes, know, it does. for a number of people. So, I mean, basically that's what they were doing was cold capping you. Right. Um, that's not what they called it then. They called it packing my head in ice and I had a horrible headache, but I didn't lose my hair. Oh, I bet. I mean... I hate the cold, so I can't even imagine um, having my head, you know, kind of packed with ice. <laughs> it doesn't sound fun at all. And people would say, you haven't lost your hair. Are you sure you had cancer? Go, oh, my gosh. Yes. Hello. I did. <laughs> yeah. You know, last time I checked all of the things that I've been through, pretty yep. sure that was cancer. Oh, gosh. The things that people say, quite honestly. Exactly. The poor people, they just don't understand and they yeah. don't know what to say. Yeah. So, um, you know, you said that you were in your, in your forties when, when you had the diagnosis and treatment, did you already have your children by then or did you have yes, to do my fertility? Children were, okay. my, my children were teenagers and oh, how I wanted to see them grow up and yeah. be productive yeah. adults, which I did. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's, um, you know, but I, the reason I ask is, you know, I don't, I don't ever know anybody's circumstances um, in terms of like when they had children. Um, so I wasn't sure if, you know, fertility was something that was discussed with you. Um, so, so you did the, the chemo. Did they put you on any medication at that point in time or ever since then? Oh, well, now I'm on oral chemo twice a day because I have a rare blood disease. Oh, okay. So I've been on the chemo twice a day for, uh, Almost four years now. Okay. Do they think that there's any kind of connection between the blood disease and the previous diagnosis? No. No. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So um, has there been anybody else in your family that has been diagnosed 
Just my mom. Your mom. Okay. And she, she did not survive. Oh, she didn't? Okay. No, and that's another reason I've become such an advocate for breast cancer awareness because I didn't talk to my mom. We didn't, you just, you know, years ago, you didn't talk about breast cancer. Today, yeah. we, it's openly, we all talk about it. You know, you have coffee, you sit around talking about it. We have the mart, the walks for the cure. We have all of this. 30 years ago, you didn't talk about it at all. It was a right. death sentence. And even after I recovered, I never said to my mom, hey, did you get your mammogram today? Don't you think we need, you know, we need to go do that? Never did. And then one day she said, I want to show you something. And she had this huge lump in her left breast, just like I did. Hmm. So I got her to the doctor immediately. And, of course, they did a mastectomy on her. And um, she lived a few years, but she didn't. Uh, she never recovered from the breast cancer. And that's why after that I said, boy, I've got to do something. So I started volunteering for Susan G. Coleman and started speaking around the state, which was um, a cure for me. It helped me a lot. Yeah. Yeah, I find that to be true for a lot of people. Like they're just, you know, in the process of helping other people, we're healing ourselves. Exactly, exactly. And I thought if I can't help, I couldn't help my mom. I didn't do the right thing, but I will do the right thing now. So that has been a blessing. Yeah. And do you have, um, are your children, uh, you know, male, female, whatever? I have a, I have a son and a daughter. Okay. And uh, he's had no trouble at all. Um, what about your son? Does he ever get checked or check himself? I know there's a lot of family yeah. history, but I feel like... You know, I, I it's just such Look a weird it. coincidence, I suppose. One out of every hundred people, a man will get breast cancer. Yeah. That's, that's just how it is. Yes, yes, he does check himself, you okay. bet. Okay. So in terms of like, you know, the, the follow-up after that, so you, I mean, this was kind of a year of your life, maybe a little bit longer. Um, was there like annual follow-up? Did they make any recommendations in terms of having a hysterectomy or anything like that? Nope. I went to this, I've been to Ironwood all these years. I go every year. I mean, after my diagnosis, I went every three months and then it was every six months and then it was every once a year. Mm -hmm. But now of course with this blood disease, I go every three months. Mm -hmm. So, and it's at the same, I'm at the same office. <laughs> I've had three different doctors because they've all retired. And I'm still oh, gosh. going strong. <laughs> Well, I'm good for you. Doctor. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I know it's hard to switch doctors for sure. <laughs> but um, not if you're in the same group. They're just, they're fabulous. There. Oh, good. Good. So, yeah, this I'm on my third doctor, and uh, he's a younger one, so maybe he'll out outlast me this time. I don't know. <laughs> um, so was there any, you know, just, just kind of hearing in terms of, like, the aggression, you know, of the of the breast cancer was there any communication or suggestion to have like a hysterectomy or, or oophorectomy or anything like that? Never, okay. never. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Never well, cause I'm, I, you know, I don't know at what point in time, you know, I mean, we've progressed so much. Um, when I say that, but then I also feel like there are in some ways we're still kind of stagnant um, with breast cancer, but 
you know, we've come so far in terms of being able to identify, oh, you know, it's estrogen progesterone positive. It's, you know, HER2 positive, HER2 negative, you know, triple positive, triple negative. Um, but at that point in time, my guess is they probably weren't even identifying if they weren't doing the staging and they weren't telling you the type of cancer, they probably weren't able to identify whether or not those were factors. Probably not. But when I had, I had a bone marrow uh, biopsy five years ago to, determine this blood disease and I did come back that I I was positive that I would have with the um what did you just call it the HER2 yeah I was positive and so that was interesting otherwise I would never have taken the test to see if you could get breast cancer or not right right <laughs> um I mean why would you right there's yeah. no there's nothing in your family that would even yeah I would never have done that Right. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I'm just, I, you know, I'm, I'm always in awe. Like I'm 13 years out at this point in time. And oh, so congratulations. Thank I didn't you. realize that. Yeah. Congratulations. Thank you. Um, it'll be 14 in March. So it's actually a little, little longer than 13, but, um, I'm always like, I look back on it and I always, it's like it happened yesterday, but then it also oh, feels I know. so distant. Do you feel that yeah. too? Oh, yeah, I can tell you. When I go to my oncologist now and, and I see the, and I, I'm walking out to pay, you know, and they have another room, I can see the recliners and I go, oh, Lord, that brings back all those memories, you know, and, and you just feel like it's today, it's just yesterday I was there yeah. getting my chemo. It's just. Yeah, it's such a, like, it's for sometimes, sometimes for me, it's such a weird space to be like, oh, you know, that happened so long ago, you know, coming up on 14 years and, and. But then at the same time, I'm like, oh, but it, boy, how, how lucky you are. Yeah, how lucky we are. Yeah. But at the same time, I'm always like, oh, you know, it feels just like yesterday because some of my scars are still sensitive. You know, I, I see my breasts every day and they're, you know, what they are. Um, so yeah, it's just those, those reminders um, that, well, but you know, you'll never be the same. No, You're never the same after that. I mean, you look at life differently. You look at everything differently. It's just never going to be the same. That's for sure. No. Yeah, I 100% agree with that. Like just um, trying to go back to what you thought was normal prior to a diagnosis will never happen. I mean, that's just the, I mean, maybe, maybe for some people it goes back. I don't know, but I, I, I would be I, I hard pressed know. to think about that. But after you, you know, after you're, diagnosed and they say the word cancer you have to mourn the loss of of your health mm -hmm. you know you, you go through a process of mourning the loss of your health and then you realize I've got to stand up I've got a family to take care of I've got to fight this and you do yeah you, you can't give up you've got to keep going every day and doing exactly what you're supposed to that's it so you know, 31 years ago, I mean, even 13 years ago, um, the supports that are available now, um, particularly on social media, certainly were not there 13 years ago. And we know that social media wasn't around 31 years ago. So where did you find support? Um, you know, especially because you didn't have a family history. You know, where did you where did you reach out to? It was hard. My family, my husband and my two children were fabulous. Um, my friends, but I was teaching school and going through chemo and, and being around those young kids every day, I was getting sicker and sicker. Mm. 
So I took a leave of absence, which was good in one respect and bad in another because I lost communication. Yeah. You know, you needed you needed that uh, normalcy of going every day doing something. So that was hard. But I had my family and uh, my friends and my church, and that was my support. But I would have loved to have talked to somebody that had breast cancer. I would have loved to know what's going to happen, you know, when you have chemotherapy. There just wasn't anyone out there to tell me that, and that was scary. It was so yeah. scary, and that's when I realized, boy, this cancer is a pretty lonely experience because mm-hmm. yes. you have no under- You know, sure, you can tell your husband, you know, and you're sick when you come home from the chemo, you know, all of this, and they're taking care of you, but you want to know what do other women feel? Do they feel this way? Do they feel sad? Do they feel like life is passing them by and why did it happen to me? And it would have been so nice to be able to share those thoughts with somebody. You know, I call them sister survivors now, which I've got so many, but I had no one to talk to. And that was a very lonely time. I mean, I, I, I can relate, um, in, in some fashion, um, but then again, realizing that, you know, again, there's there's still a huge difference between the, you know, the time that I was diagnosed and the time that you were diagnosed. And I know that for me, 13 years ago, there weren't people around for me to have that communication with either. Um, and I just remember, I remember sitting in my apartment and I lived by myself and I was single and my family lived about 45 minutes to an hour away from me. So I really genuinely had just a few people, um, but they had their own lives. And there was just this song, and I think it was by like Dirks Bentley, um, but it was called Long Trip Alone. And that's really how I felt. Like that song just resonated with me. And I always felt like, you know, the loneliest cell is a cancer cell and the loneliest patient is a cancer patient. Like I always felt like that. I totally agree with that. I totally agree. It's so lonely. Mm-hmm. And even when you're, I, I almost, I almost feel like even when you're surrounded by people, um, you know, if they're friends or their family, and sometimes even if you have a support group, you know, it still can be such a lonely journey. It is, it is, it's just, and nobody understands. And I, that's why I try so hard to reach out. If someone's going through it, I try to just reach out and let them talk to you, you know? Yeah. Um, you can never say, well, I know exactly how you feel because everybody feels differently. Mm-hmm. But just to be able to express your feelings to somebody who's gone through it, gosh, I think that means a lot. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, again, I think we've gotten um, much louder in the breast cancer community, you know, and we've, we've reached out um, much farther and, you know, social media is great in that way. Um you know, to be able to connect people from all over the world um, that are going through this experience, obviously not the same, exact same, but, you know, just having that experience and being able to connect so quickly, um, I think is, is really beneficial. But I still imagine that it's, it's probably really hard. And I think about those people who, you know, they don't have access to those things, you know, they don't have access to um, social media, you know, maybe their internet isn't that great, you know, maybe they, Maybe they live in a place where they can't get to a support group. Not that support groups are happening in person right now, but, um, you know, I always worry about those people too and, and just, you know, how do we reach them? How do we get to them? 
yeah, just being able to talk. You know, years, several, about maybe six or seven years ago, I went to Washington, D.C. for the global walk for the cure. Oh, my gosh, what an experience that was. There were women from all over the world oh, wow. who wow. survived breast cancer. I'm telling you, it was the most wonderful feeling to share all of these feelings with these women. And they had that. I don't care where they're from, India or France or wherever they were from, they felt the same as you and I. They were afraid and they were scared. They were lonely. And to just reunite with them, it was just really, what an experience. Because you think it's just right here, well, my little town of Tempe, you know. Yeah. No, it's all over the world people uh-huh. are experiencing. Women have breast cancer all over the world. And gosh, that was just what a very what it was just a great experience I could never forget that yeah that's um that's pretty profound and I uh so I do dragon boating and um we have well I I did it back in Pittsburgh when I lived there and I do it here now I'm a coach um for the breast cancer team here but I've gone to the international festivals that are specific to breast cancer for dragon boating and just that experience, you know, my first year that I went, I went, um, you know, I was pretty new into the whole, uh, well, I guess I was seven years into it. <laughs> I still consider myself new into to the breast cancer world at that point in time. But, um, you know, it was, it was amazing. And then to take my team in 2018 and have them experience that was just an experience, like, I'll never forget it, you know, and exactly the same thing you said all of these people from around the world, men and women, um, right? you know, thousands upon thousands of them. And just knowing the reason that we were all there was because that we all, you know, were either in the, you know, in the trenches, you know, fighting breast cancer or had gone through it. Um, it was such an amazing, amazing experience. And I know, you know, just my team kind of felt the same way that you express, you know, with going to Washington, D.C., you know, even though the stories are different, it's just such an amazing experience to be in that kind of position um, to surround yourself from women and men all over the world um, that have had breast cancer. But, you know, we belong, we belong to a sorority. The initiation is horrible, but we all are sisters. That's it. And brothers. I'll add in the brothers. And brothers, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Um, so, you know, I'm thinking about, um, I mean, you you really have been going at this for, and not not that the, um, not that you've been in active treatment, right, for 31 years, but uh, 31 years as a survivor, like that is just, like I said, completely amazing. And so if somebody, if someone who is listening to this, um, you know, were to call you up and say, you know, what, what piece of advice would you offer me? What would you tell them? I would tell them they're not alone. Please don't ever think you're alone. Just reach out. There's so many people that will help you get through this journey. Yeah. I love that. And that's, that's the most important thing. If I had just had somebody's hand to hold, it would have been so much easier. And I'm not putting my family down, not one bit, No. but they had no idea this, the loneliness, the sad, the scare. You're so afraid. Mm-hmm. You are so afraid. And every time you go in for your chemo, you know, you're hoping your blood work was good the day before so you could have the chemo. Right. And you can't express those things. 
So if somebody just said, Sharon, you're not alone. Call me if you need me. Oh, wow. That would have been such a load off my shoulders. So I just want people to know they aren't alone. There's so many places to call, so many people that will help them. Yeah. Well, I just have enjoyed our time together. Um, I, you know, I love your story for so many reasons, and I'm so deeply saddened for other reasons. Um, You know, it's a horribly tragic story as well um, for the other woman and the doctor um, that you previously had. So it's, it's just this big roller coaster of emotions, um, you know, with your story. But I want to say thank you so much for, you know, number one, taking the time to be a part of my podcast and being willing to share your story. And second of all, you know, still 31 years later, being a part and being a voice within this community, because I wholeheartedly believe that if we didn't have people like you that came before us, you know, I wouldn't have gotten through my experience the way that I did. And I don't think that the people coming after us at this point in time would get through their experience the way that they are going to. Thank you so much. I appreciate that. And I've enjoyed this too. This has been this has been fun. <laughs> Good. I'm so glad. You nailed your first podcast. <laughs> Thank you very much. Made it easy. Thank you for listening to this episode of Behind the Pink Ribbon. Don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe. If you or anyone you know would be interested in sharing your story, please send an email to podcast at behindthepinkribbon.com. Thinking about advertising on this podcast? Our ads not only create awareness for your brand, but also contribute to the continued growth and support of this show. Email us today and be on our next episode. Email podcast at behindthepinkribbon.com for more information. You've been listening to Behind the Pink Ribbon, produced by American Creative Consulting, mixed and mastered at Riverview Podcasting Studios. For more information, please visit designbyacc.com.